to Changing the Sales Game on webtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. My guests and I are excited that you're joining us today. Now, as you listen to the show, of course, I hope you feel my passion about sales, right? I live and breathe it. But additionally, I hope you feel my passion and maybe more importantly, the mission of the show and of my business to really help you change your sales game so that you could show up and serve just so much bigger and with a lot more love, care, and respect, kind of my mantra, um, to help you on your journey of changing your sales game. In the show notes is my communication style assessment. Please take it. It really does give you some in- enhanced information or spotlights information about your natural superpowers of how people are perceiving your messaging kind of important. Flip side, you'll get a secondary report, which is your lowest score. Um, To me, that could be even more enlightening because it'll show the people who communicate just a hundred percent and different than you. How is your message landing for them? So that could be even more important, especially as we communicate with our clients and customers. Now my motivation, and again, that, that link is in the show notes. My apologies for not saying that. So links in the show notes. Now, my motivational quote today to set the stage for for the topic is by Sally Gronow, and she says, good customer service costs less than bad customer service. So this quote, this quote just for me says it all as a business owner um, to not be responsive and and always over deliver every time I speak and engage with my clients. I would I don't I really don't believe I'd see the success and the repeat business referral business that I'm blessed to have. There's always comp- competition out there. So if we show up daily and we really serve and deliver our product services, whatever it is that you offer, better than the competition, then all of that, all of those competitions, it, it just doesn't matter because all that matters is the person that's in front of us. So the, the competitor, in essence, kind of comes becomes irrelevant. It's an easy concept, I believe, that I've lived by my whole life, and it serves me well, again, with the success I see in my business. So who is today my amazing guest? His name is Daniel Alexander Viduya, um, and from facing hardship of being independent at the age of 16 to discovering his passion for customer experience, Daniel has mastered the art of customer service, both on the front and the back end. Now, for years, he worked under high-pressure conditions in call centers and is passionate about educating brands on how to scale high-performing teams in both an ethical and efficient manner. Now, Daniel firmly believes that sales are not just simple sales. Rather, sales are about consulting and recommending what is best that suits the needs of a brand. So please help me welcome Daniel to the show. So thanks for being on, my friend. Thank you for having me today, Connie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, and I'm excited because, dude, this is one of my passions. I believe, and I, and I just want to share a little quip with you. When I train, and we people are afraid sometimes of the word sales, especially if they're getting into sales as a newbie. And I do, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? So I say, which came first, the sale or the service? And everybody always says the service. So here's a little tip, everybody listening. I don't care if you call yourself a service provider, a sales professional, doesn't matter. If you're not providing good service, you're not selling. And if you're not selling or making recommendations, you're not providing good service, right? Being nice isn't what we're talking about. Showing up and over-delivering every time you engage that client, that's really the essence of customer service, right? 
I agree with that. I mean, it just goes hand in hand. And sometimes when you when you when you know people think that one way is separate with the other, truly in essence, they actually coexist for a reason. Because as he said, you know, to to not make a sale is not a is a disservice to your customers, but also to not be of service to your customers is essentially not also making a sale because there's no way you're going to make one. So they go hand in hand, absolutely. And I like your words that you believe in integrity as well as efficiency, right? We have to be efficient in how we execute. Otherwise, we can't over deliver. But I love that word integrity as well, Daniel, because it's it what you just said. If, if I'm not the right fit or my product or my service or my offer isn't a fit, why would I force it on someone? That's where the ick factor comes in, right? That we get conned into buying something. That doesn't make you good at sales. That makes you a con artist, right? Yeah, and that I've seen many a great brands with their downfall in that because um literally I'm for the sake of ethics, I'm not gonna mention their name, but they did a merger before. This was a TV provider of a satellite and a popular telecommunications phone, internet, cell phone, and also TV. They had a the the IPTV. They merged, they bought one bought off the other, but because they were pushing sales and conning um senior citizens into buying services they did not need. At the end of the day, um, after I think a few, like three or four years, they separated again and, you know, just much money was lost. But, you know, that was not even the issue because money is always earned. But the time that the people lost to dealing with their Michigan of all this being thrown from one bill, your bill is not here. It's already with them. So we had a call. We had to lose time. It's, it's lost time and patience and effort that you can never pay your customers back because time is a golden thing. You can't pay for it. It's something that you either use well or you lose it. And that's the sad thing about it. And that's all stemming from unethical sales and just sometimes pushing for something that's not really right for someone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real, being integrity. I think that's such a, a, I just love that word because I live by it. And I think it's important um, that especially salespeople and, and the funny thing is, and I know we're going to talk about the call centers and your experience, but the bottom line is right at the end of the day, if we're not in integrity and doing the right thing, you're not going to get repeat business. You have to work that much harder to constantly get new deals in versus sitting back and getting these beautiful referrals that, you know, 80, 80, 90% of the time you're going to close because there's a trust factor coming into the first conversation, right? So it's, it's this, we have to play the long game. Absolutely. And it's, and, you know, it's we, we're going to talk about it more for sure, but I think that if you are an honest person, people will simply trust and buy from you willingly. You don't have to force yourself upon it. But how many times did our listeners or probably some people up to this day have to put up with that shame within themselves that, oh, I have to make this because I'm forced to, but they really don't want to because they know that no one trusts them anymore. It's, it's, it's sad, but it is. We're going to talk about more about it later. And I'm happy to share more about what your listeners would love to hear. Yes, I love it. So first question, you know, let's talk about, you know, having taken phone calls yourself and being that former customer success manager, what was the most difficult situation that you dealt with? Because we are dealing with humans, right? It's not always hunky-dory and, you know, rainbows and unicorns, right? Oh, it's not. It's, it's, it's been awful. Um, I think that the most difficult call that I've had were two things. One was my very first call as a call center agent. The customer had six cell phone lines, all have been added newly. 
um, and one of the representatives decided that it's okay to change their plan in the midst of a billing cycle without telling the customer. And they added all these fancy add-ons and whatnot packages. And this cost for a normally what would be a three-page bill to become a six-page bill because there were six lines. And in each of them, there were prorated charges in each. And there was this addition, this removal, this addition, this removal. And this customer had to call in because those six lines were now significantly expensive than what it used to be. And she did not know that she was actually talked into getting a new plan. Uh. And that was my very first call. And I, this was me as a fresh call center agent at the age of 18. And I was scratching my head trying to capture every single charge. And I was trying to backtrace which was supposed to be there and which was not supposed to be there. My trainer, who was my supervisor at the time, had to get involved. And even he had to sit down and scratch his head and bring out his calculator because it was just a total mess. That was my first call. And that was very difficult. But, you know, it's so sad because it could have been a proper sale had you told your customer what was going to happen. It could have been a good call had you told them that this is what you're signing up for. But apparently the customer was completely unaware that she was switched to a new plan. And back in the time in that day, when you switch your plan, your contract tenure could be affected, meaning that if you were 18 months into your contract, you may be switched to a new contract term. It was really a dangerous move. So it was a big fix that even my supervisor had to apologize to the customer because it was way out of my league and almost out of his league had he not taken the time to go through every single cent and every single line that was there. Here's the thing, though, right? Kudos to you for remaining calm. Kudos to your supervisor to say, look, we can remedy this. You know, the mistake was clearly on your end, not you or the supervisor, but on your organization's end. Yes, organization. Here's the thing. Mistakes happen. People do things wrong. Sometimes people do things innocently, sometimes not. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Things can be fixed, but you have to own when you make the mistake. And I have found, again, in 40 years, Daniel, being in business, well, 40 years in sales, 22 years in business, when you let people know I messed up, oh my gosh, we didn't realize that happened. I am so sorry. We are going to fix it. And and then you do retribution, right? You go, look, you get an extra hour of my time or you know what? I'm going to come and bring lunch for you guys. And it really, really feel that apology if, if you messed up. See, I don't apologize. If I didn't make a mistake, somebody said you did something wrong. I will rectify, but I don't, I don't take ownership if I didn't make a mistake. Now in, in your story, the organization made the mistake because you represent the organization. Um, so that's yes. another whole, you know, kind of. Yes. Life. And it's, it's some, sometimes, you know, some people try to hide these mistakes and in the process of hiding them, it ends up being that the customer is being gaslighted, not that's deliberately, but that, that causes more friction yeah. than, you know, it could have been resolved with a simple ownership. So that's, yeah. that's one. The other most, the other very difficult call that I had was in the customer servicing. It's, it's a customer service side was um, student loans are very popular in the United States. And a lot of customers think that putting a forbearance on the account is the best route to be able to defer payments. When the truth is putting a forbearance just generates more and more debt than actually helping yourself in deferring um, a payment because you were unable to pay at the time. Um, and this customer was simply, he was, he was terminal because he had an illness and he had a call on the phone and with a struggling voice he said that is his authorizing his daughter to speak to me but you know he's on the phone and the daughter explained that 
there on his deathbed. He's about to pass away, but they don't want him, you know, they don't know what's going to happen to the loan and they wanted to put a forbearance. And so with a heavy heart, I did that. I had to put the forbearance in the account and I had to recite this script, but inside me, I was being eaten up by the fact that I'm saying this to someone who's passing away when this person is supposed to be passing away in peace. But no, yes. I had to say that. Yes. And by law, I was required to, because otherwise it could have been a lawsuit um, on the company that I used to work for. And what I could only do at the time was that I, I spoke to the daughter and said, I'm really sorry that I had to do this. And I feel so ashamed. But I think that the best way that I can help you is so that you can you don't deal with this ordeal is that I'm going to put the account on notice right now. I'm going to place a specific code on the account that will notify the claims team that we are starting a claim for forgiveness. And what I need you to do is that I'm going to give you a fax number for you to send a death certificate with a raised seal so that we could be, um, begin the process of putting this account on hold and in the process of forgiveness in that way you don't have to call anymore because i think that this is a very difficult time for you and this was very difficult for me to be honest i told her that ever since that ever since that moment i made an admission to myself to educate my customers and take the time to tell them what would be the best repayment option for them instead of putting a forbearance in the account because the that's the quickest way forbearance because it's the easiest but I've always educated customers now with the income-based repayment option where if you pay in a certain time frame period and if you comply with those payments on time, you're eligible for loan forgiveness. Not many know about that. And this is based on their income, so it's not going to be heavy on their pockets. But that's one. And another is if they really need to put or defer payments is the right term, we need to apply the right situation why they couldn't pay. And so if they tell me it's because they lost their job or if they're in food stamps and such, I encourage them to actually mail me the proof of their status so that I go to my supervisor, request for approval, and instead of placing a forbearance, we place a deferment. And the deferment does not accrue interest like a forbearance does. And so you're not accruing more debt in the time that you're actually unemployed or in a fixed income or in food stamps. And not many know this, but then that's the harsh truth that sometimes... When people think that it's okay to delay their, delay their loans, it's sort of okay. It's acceptable. It's given. But they don't know that they're putting themselves, they're digging themselves a deeper hole by doing that. And that's why ever since that deathbed situation that I had to recite a forbearance in, I really hated and disliked putting forbearances in the account unless it was necessary. And here's the thing, Daniel, and the important piece of, of that story. First of all, you know, wow, talk about kindness. That was really lovely of you to truly understand what the heck was going on and then showing compassion in that moment, because that's freaking hard, man. Like, that's not a good situation. And they were doing what, the, the, thank goodness, the family was aware to try to handle it before it became a bigger issue, right? Financially with, with yes. more debt or bad credit, whatever, whatever they were trying to avoid. The other thing you said that I think was, was critical. And I want to make sure everybody heard it is you actually took the time to ask questions, to understand, take that ownership from a compassionate perspective, not well, my job tells me I have to do this, right? Adding that, that level of humanness and saying, look, let me let me just tell you some of the options. Now, it took you more time, right? You had other calls in the yeah, queue. Absolutely. You have all of this pressure happening, but we have to do the right thing for our clients every time um, because that's how we get repeat business. But additionally, 
you the word out in the street, right? That brand becomes living and breathing because not only does your mission statement say we're going to be compassionate and integrity, whatever, I'm making this up, but on the flip side, you're living and breathing it that the clients actually see it. That's that's the magic of good customer service with good sales, right? It's it, it's got to be this this dance or this flow between the two. What what absolutely. What, Right, right. It's, 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 it, here's the thing, right? Oh, that sounds so, so logical, Connie, yet we don't do it <laughs> in execution, right? So we have to understand, I think, the components and then it becomes easier to execute. I have to ask you this. Did you initially, you know, given your background, well, take a minute. Can you share your background? Because you were on your own, like I said, since 16 years of age. Yes. Did you initially have other career plans other than being in the customer service space? Like, talk to us about your Absolutely. Well, I, I wanted to be so many things. I wanted to be a TV news reporter because I love being on the camera. <laughs> that was one of them. And the next thing, you, you know, the next thing I know, I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to operate in people because I just think that being in the pace in the medical industry in the field was very inspiring. My my siblings are doctors. Both of them are doctors in physical therapy in Texas. Another one is a pediatrician, hematologist, and oncologist. I'm here in the Philippines. And wow. so, yeah, you, you don't find that many specialties here. I wanted to be a surgeon because I wanted to save lives. I wanted to help people. Um, but uh, because of circumstances and many unfortunate events, I found myself to be astray from that dream. And I ended up being, you know, I'm um, being alone at such a young age. And so when I did not finish college at the age of 18, I had to find a way to sustain myself. And I found myself to be in customer service. And so I still got to talk and converse, you know, <laughs> it was still enjoyable. And I think that's what unlocked my passion for helping people because I'm like the surgeon, but I mean, I'm the surgeon of mending bills and explaining what's happening, diagnosing what cost your bill to skyrocket from $100 to $250. You know, that's what I do. I analyze your, and I, I can still do that. I'm proud to say, I mean, it's been a while since I read a telecommunications bill, but if you put one in front of me, I could decipher that and tell you, you know, how you could save your bill or what's causing your bill to skyrocket. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I say often life is life and it teaches us where we need to be that sometimes we don't even see it coming, but it becomes so obvious. And then when you do it, you go, oh, I should have been doing this all along. But until you realize it or you have the experience, we, again, dreaming is a beautiful thing, but then executing, right? Going into action. You really, I think oftentimes life finds us where we need to be and guides us um, where we're supposed to serve and do. And that's what you're doing now. So it's just that's Because dreaming is sometimes it's not necessarily your calling. Sometimes right. your calling brings you to a completely different opposite situation and where you wanted to be. That's right. And that's where I found myself in helping right. customers and just helping people. Talk to me about what do you think is a good performance management model? Like I believe for us to become and, and not only survive, but thrive and make life easier and make business easier and all these things, we have to have systems in place, processes in place so that the, the, the repetition, the admin stuff, it gets done no matter whether I'm doing it, my partner does it, my assistant, whoever, it doesn't matter. So what to you is, how do you, when you talk to your clients, what is a good performance management model? 
you know, this sounds theoretical to some of our listeners because they might have not heard of this before, but I'm about to say it. And it's called the Operational Application Management Model, but we have it in Support Zebra, which is called as Zoom to make it easier to remember, which is a Support Zebra Operational Obligational Management Model. And the reason why we're implementing this type of performance management model is that it talks about accountability and responsibilities from the top to down level. Typically, for many call centers, you hear people coaching agents, and that's the main focus. Our performance management is to make sure that we're only managing our agents. But how many times have we heard controversies of, oh, okay, now he's a manager, he's the big boss, he doesn't have to do anything. Or this person is, you know, and this, you know, is doing the floor walks right now, but then it's easy for them to walk the talk, but they really can't, you know, do the talking. They can't see me in my position. That's the thing. That's the main controversy. With the operational obligation obligational management model, everyone from even your CEO down to your agent is responsible for doing their duty. And that if one of them is not doing their duty, it can break that cycle and affect the entire team. And so the operations manager is responsible for making sure that apart from knowing the product in and out and from knowing your people very well, that the operational uh, operations manager is responsible for following through with the coaches and that the coaches follow through with the agents and that everyone is developed accordingly. Apart from which, you also have your many things that you do with operational obligational management from seating arrangements. Should it be wise that you're putting all the bottom performers in one aisle versus the other, or should you be seating them one aside each other so that they could learn from one another? Is it actually wise that you should be you know, conducting triad sessions and what types of calls you should be listening so that everyone can learn and not just you. Because at the end of the day, when one component fails, the entire ecosystem and model is compromised. And same with the call center. That one slip made by an agent could destroy the entire name of a brand that's, you know, that's been working so hard to get the trust of the people. I mean, one time I remember... It's not from it's not from our center, but I heard one controversy um, that was in another center that was from another city. The federal, the FBI in the United States had to work with the Philippine government to try to capture one person who committed credit card fraud, and all because of that one slip. But once that were when you did not perform, when you did not manage your people well, when you did not manage the performance well, one got a slip, and now the FBI is involved. That's the worst case that it could happen. And that one that one thing, that one tiny component of your entire system jeopardized the contract and find, canceled out of the call center, pulled out everyone from that account and they moved elsewhere. And and you know, it here's the ripple effect. I call it the ripple effect. So if I'm if I'm sales and I'm bringing in new business, right? I'm the face of the company because I'm uh, hopefully executing the brands properly. Now I hand it off to the admin team or whoever to f- facilitate the paperwork, et cetera. And then my client has the call center in case it's after hours and they need to speak to a call agent, right? So you have all of these um, pieces of the puzzle that impact the client and the client's perspective, not only of me, the salesperson or you, the admin or whoever my relationship manager is, but every time I'm touched by the organization or people within the organization, 
that's the brand. You're you're either Absolutely. reinforcing that, holy crap, this is the company I want to work with. They're amazing no matter who I talk to. Or, well, I don't know. Did I make the right choice by accepting that sale in the first place? So we all have to depend on each other. Me as the salesperson bringing it in, you supporting me, and as well as the client. It's got to be that trifecta of a win-win-win kind of container. And you mentioned something very important there, the brand. Because sometimes when we represent a brand, we don't represent individuality. We only represent the brand. And so when a customer says, you guys from AT&T or T-Mobile have screwed up my bill, they don't talk about you. So when they're lashing out at you, it's not because they're angry at you. They're angry at the brand. And so making that impression as a brand to a customer, to a client, to a call center, we are one. There's no such thing as individuality, unless we're talking about payroll. But <laughs> apart from that, on the business side, it is who you are. You know, you are you are AT&T, you are T-Mobile, you're Bank of America, you're Sutherland, you're Support Zebra. There's no such thing as individuality here. Yeah, it, it's and I, I believe that, too. It's got to be a team like I can't do it alone. Right. I need my team with me. Um, there's just not enough hours in a day. And then what happens? Right. If we get fatigued or we are spread too thin, the customer service ends just it, it it flails and then we're not getting those referrals we're not getting those repeat business we're not getting contracts re-signed the following year and etc cetera, etc cetera. again it's that whole ripple effect we have to become an effective ecosystem as a business and all departments within and you know i work my, most of my clients are corporate clients mostly banks and credit unions and it's funny because they're silos right and we laugh because when i go into my client when i my clients right i start asking questions like are there silos they look at me like are you kidding we all and and i don't care what industry right everybody's rolling their eyes as i said that but they're silos (laughs) and we have to really break down those silos so that the customer service the sales the admin the ops they all have to work in tandem with each other because we're driving the same train right we're going in this or the hopefully the mission and objective is the same we just have different roles that we're playing for that customer and working in silos, mind you, it's so it's it's so coincidental because literally going inside a silo is actually very dangerous for a farmer because you know they could get buried alive in that corner. You you heard yes. of that story? Yes. Several farmers have died going yes. in the silos because they wanted to work on their own. That they thought that diving into that silo was a right wise idea without having any backup from outside. That's right. And that's the thing with businesses too. When you work in silos, it could be detrimental to you and the business because if you decide to work in silos and you take things on your own, you're going to find yourself being buried with work in the sand until you no longer have any clear vision and you're confused and everyone is equally confused as you are and the business dies eventually. We need to break that silo because there's no way that we we could work in silos and be lost in ourselves. When we want to grow the brand, when we want to get customers, when we want to make a sale, when we want to have a functioning customer service. It's so funny because it's, it's, it's that paradox, but it really is there. It's it's, it's true. 
Yeah. And, and here's the other thing. It's a heck of a lot more fun when you have your team working together, right? Where we could joke around and have a good time and serve at a bigger level. It just, it, the burden becomes less because it's dispersed amongst everybody on the team, no matter what department that that customer is funneling through, right? We're all really taking some of that burden off. So we don't have to climb into the silo and God forbid, right? Get buried alive in get buried alive in that, yeah, Yeah. in that work. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. My last question, Daniel, and I, I'm curious because you're a younger person. Where do you think AI technology and the role it plays for the future of these customer service roles? What What are you seeing? Because you're, you know, as a as a boss of uh, support zebra, zebra. I think that AI is going to play a big role in the transformation of customer service, but not enough to replace human beings. It's no such thing because human beings are so complex. You know, we're complex beings and we have yet to discover so much of our capacity from the stone age till present. And AI was created by humans, but then I don't think that it could overtake and replace humans completely. Can it possibly be a big component of, uh, of customer service and sales? Yes, absolutely. But just like the IBM computer back in NASA in the six, was it in the sixties? I think sixties and seventies where the IBM was supposed to replace the human calculators that used to work for NASA. What ended up happening was the head of human calculators started studying Fortran. No one in NASA could get the IBM working until one of the head calculators went into the room and got the IBM working. And now they decided, okay, we're onto something here. Maybe the calculators should be managing the IBM so that we could work efficiently. And it's the same with AI. Many people are so friendly with AI when the truth is, AI can really help you, but we still need to manage and make sure that is well monitored, maintained, so that it could produce optimal results. We cannot simply rely on AI and say, yes, it can replace human beings. And then when things go wrong, there's no one to help anymore. We don't want that. So it has to be managed effectively, monitored. And just like what you mentioned earlier, right? When you need proper management and, you know, when you need to manage performance, it's the same with AI. Sometimes it still makes mistakes. Sometimes it does not really acknowledge things completely. Sometimes it requires intricate instructions to actually do the function that he wanted to. That's where the human beings are. That's what the human beings are here for. And and it, I agree. And here's a just a relevant story. It ha- just happens. I have to go to the doctor, dermatologist, right? Just for my checkup, you know, do the body scan, right? All of those things to keep, stay healthy, right? Self-maintenance. Absolutely. And I called and I said, did you get everything? I sent the forms in. She's like, why are we finding you date of birth, right? Your name, address. She goes, Con, you're not popping up. I said, is it under Connie or Conchetta? My legal name is Conchetta. And I don't know that I've ever said that on the show. So a new new tidbit about Connie, you got all just learned. But anyway, she looked and she goes, oh, we have it under Conchetta. I go, well, my health card, my my health insurance on it is Connie. So I said, try that. I go, I don't think that will be it, but let's try it. 10 minutes, we were on the phone trying to figure this out. She puts Connie in, she starts laughing. I go, what? She goes, that was it. So again, we have all this artificial intelligence. We have this computer program. My information was uploaded. It just had the wrong name. So had we not sat there and tried to put different pieces of information or confirm the information, and it was one 
like three, four letters had to be changed. So again, I don't think AI is going to replace humans. I think hopefully we can manage it, add it to our processes, right? So that we could function at a higher, faster, better level. But we need humans. You're right. We're complex beings and we cannot be, well, I mean, my kids say we're living in the matrix now anyway. They're little conspiracy theories. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's, it's still a long way. I mean, think of the abacus. Back then, a Chinese in, in the ancient days he used to have the abacus, and then the calculator came in, but that never replaced people having to manage that. And then the IBM came, you know, to calculate the trajectories and coordinates of NASA, but then the IBM could not even follow the Euler's method and such. And so people still had to manage it. It's the same thing with AI. I don't feel threatened by it. I'm excited by it. But I think that at the end of the day, we should take a step back and realize that we need to get a grip of things. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. And and understand how to incorporate it into our career, our business, our job, our organization, whatever it might be. It could be a beautiful tool. Cause the, yeah, because the goal of AI is to make our lives better, not to make it more difficult. And That's if right. people like you are calling about their dermal appointments and we're now missing our information, and this was because we left AI completely to do it for us, then it's not making our lives better. It's just giving us misery. And quite frankly, if we're hungry... It's going to piss us off. So, <laughs> exactly. Time is money, right, Daniel? Time is Time money. Time is money. I, I, I could it. agree more. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you're so cute. So we are out of time, but everybody, listen, if really quick, support Zebra, just a quick line. What do you, what does your organization do? You help? We help with, with your customer. When you need to establish a customer service team, if you need to scale a customer service team, if you lack that great customer experience and you want to establish a great customer experience, come to us and we will help you. We will be that team for you. We will advocate for your customers. I love it. And I love, I'm so happy you started with that story about the poor man that was passing, literally passing as you spoke to the daughter who was trying to, the, the father was probably saying, but we have to make sure we remedy that before I go because he yeah. didn't want to leave a burden for his kids. So can you imagine instead of dying in peace, he was dying in stress. That's not okay. And that to not- me really exemplifies who you are, Daniel. That was a beautiful story. And just if you can deliver that exponentially and help people deliver that level of customer service, like everybody should be hiring you in my opinion. (laughs) We're doing that right now. We're doing that right now. Customer service that comes from the heart, human, human connection. Thank you so much for having me today, Kanye. I really appreciate it. Yes. Loved having you. So let me share. So guys, you need more Daniel in your life. I'm going to put a couple of pieces of information. The website is supportzebra.com. And then Daniel is daniel.viduya, V-I-D-U-Y-A at supportzebra.com. I will put all of that in the show notes so it's easy to find um, and get in contact with Daniel. Listen, if you have a question, please email him because strategize with him. Um, he might really be the answer to supporting you, especially if you're in sales or you're an executive and you need to refine your call center or improve your call center or start a call center. Um, please reach out to Daniel. He's uh, a delight. You can see from our show what a love he is. So thank you again, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Truly a pleasure. 
And I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together, no matter where you are on your journey of changing your sales game or upping your game as an organization. I truly hope my guests and I provide some ideas, tips, strategies, stories, thought-provoking conversation that helps you look at, in this case, your call center or your customer support team are there changes that need to be happening? And only you can answer that. But again, reach out to Daniel. Um, he can answer any questions. Uh, go to the website. There's some cool things there um, as well. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Changing the Sales Game with me, your host, Connie Whitman on webtalkradio.com. I am truly honored to have you on this journey of changing your game and whatever that is for you. And I hope today Daniel and I shared some stories, ideas, and some laughs to help you move the needle of changing your own personal sales game. I love you all. I'm honored that you join me weekly and we will see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow. Follow.